Hello, and welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm Carol Escaros. If there is one thing a person who struggles with anxiety does not want to hear, the one sentence people like us do not want to hear. Any guesses on what that might be? Any takers? Anyone? The sentence is this. Don't worry. Just don't worry. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Listen to me. If we, those of us who struggle with anxiety in any way, if we were simply able to just not worry about it, there would be no reason for them to be having the particular conversation they're having with you in the first place. If it was as simple as them just telling their own minds, don't worry about it. No. For those of us who consistently battle this issue, we need stronger tools than just platitudes and cliches. No, we need weapons of spiritual warfare. Those weapons that are outlined in Ephesians chapter 6. I recommend to all of my listeners, get familiar with aspects of spiritual warfare, the truth and the theology that is outlined in Ephesians 6. That is spiritual warfare right there. But for the purposes of our study on fear not, I want to hone in on three specific weapons. We're calling this message weapons of war against worry, all right? Keeping with our alliteration, our consonants, whatever it is. Three specific weapons, all right? These are the weapons of war against worry, three of them in particular. Prayer, gratitude, or thanksgiving, and encouragement. Prayer, thanksgiving, and encouragement. Now, the first two are really best covered, of course, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I want you to turn there in your Bibles. I know many of you listening know this passage well, especially those of us who have struggled with anxiety of any shape or form. We have this memorized. Many of us have it. Stickers, tattoos, books, journals, Ephesians 4, 6 and 7 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want to focus on three words in particular from this passage. I want to focus on prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Some definitions by way of review. Okay, in this passage, prayer is the broader word that means all of our communication with God. So any communication you have with God, we'll call it prayer. But the term supplication in the passage is directly asking God for something. So when we're in the posture of prayer, any of the communication we have, whether it's confession, thanksgiving, supplication is included in the word prayer. Supplication itself is when we directly ask God for something. But I want to teach you all a little bit of theology because it's important. And I want us to look at this issue in a slightly different way. Okay. There are two key characteristics about the will of God that we might not immediately understand. Okay. Two characteristics of what God determines will happen. They happen in really one of two ways. We have his unconditional will and God's conditional will. 
Okay. God's unconditional will and his conditional will. God's unconditional will is what he will do no matter what. It's what God has determined will happen no matter what you or anyone does. So for example, an example of God's unconditional will is Jesus going to the cross. No matter what was going to happen, Jesus was going to die for the sins of man. That was determined at the fall, all the way in the beginning of the book of Genesis, all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ. That was God's unconditional will. It was part of the plan. You see it woven throughout all of the prophecies of the coming of Jesus, all of the Christophanies, all of his appearances throughout the Old Testament that we've talked about so many times. We see the coming of Jesus is part of God's unconditional will. God's conditional will, however, is what he determines to do that depends on our choices. In other words, things that God has determined will not happen without our cooperation. For example, in Deuteronomy 11, God says, if you obey the commands of the Lord, you will have blessing. And if you don't obey the commands of the Lord, you will have cursing. So in other words, God has a will, but it's tied to a condition. It's tied to your behavior. Our cooperation in certain situations affects what God will allow to happen. One such conditional will involves this issue of prayer. If you look up with me, James chapter 4, verse 2, James 4, verse 2 refers to this. We have not because we ask not. In other words, God has determined according to his conditional will that we will have certain things if we ask. That's a condition. If, then. If we ask for certain things, then God will give them. This falls under his conditional will for our lives. So hear me on this, those of us who struggle with anxiety. How often do we not experience real freedom from fear simply because we don't ask for it? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're all going, of course we ask for it. We've asked God a million times to deliver us from anxiety and he hasn't delivered us. No, I'm not really talking about prayer that we've done once and we have been frustrated and we give up. I am talking about what I have spoken of before in talking about Jesus in the garden and him laboring again and again and again and through the night watches and his early morning prayer and his constant communion with God. I am talking about a consistent posture, a prayer without seeking that constant asking, seeking, knocking, banging persistently, nonstop pursuing this for your life. Look, in Daniel chapter 10, we learn that angels had been dispatched by God in direct answer to Daniel's prayers. Look it up. It's there in Daniel chapter 10. You have to look it up. It's one of my favorite chapters. And we must understand that when we pray, things are happening on a spiritual level, on a plane that you do not fully see or understand. And that's my question to each of us. How many of our prayers are going unanswered simply because we don't ask God for real? We give it sort of a lackluster effort. We shrug and we say, God didn't want to set me free, or we don't really pray consistently. And I want you to consider 
when we pray, God hears and there's a battle that goes on on a heavenly plane you do not fully understand. Are you praying without ceasing? Are you laboring against your fears in prayer? And I'm talking it's war. I'll put it to you this way, a personal testimony on this. For nearly a decade, my girlfriends and I prayed every weekday morning. It was a committed discipline that we had at 6.15 a.m. I kid you not. Every weekday morning at 6.15, we would pray by phone. We wouldn't get together in person because we lived all over the state at the time. But ask me, was it easy? No, of course not. Did we sometimes have to miss if we were up all night with a sick child or if we were sick ourselves? Of course, sometimes we would miss. Were we exhausted? Absolutely. We were moms, having babies, raising babies, homeschooling, working outside of the home, doing all sorts of things. But God, by the Holy Spirit, showed us his presence. He showed us the intimate nature of genuine, fervent prayer, the effective, fervent prayer of that righteous man, or in this case, women, that avails so much. We learn the principles that are outlined in 1 Corinthians 9. You know the part where it says, everybody's running a race, everybody's running, but only one is going to receive the prize. So just run in a way that you can get the prize. It's in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Again, look this one up. Paul says, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. So I'm fighting not as one who beats the air. That's how we would pray. We prayed not like we were beating the air, but that we were beating down our very enemy. And the greatest enemy we were beating down in prayer were our own fears. And I want to testify of what God did. God heard us in our weakness and our fear. God heard us for our marriages and seasons of unemployment and arguments with spouses and difficulties with children and sickness. God heard us for our kids and for our extended family members and financial situations. And he heard us in short-term things, and he also heard us in long-term things. I was talking to one of those prayer warriors just today And we were weeping on the phone, rejoicing in the answers that we are receiving in her life now for prayers that we prayed over 10 years ago. In other words, we sowed in so many tears and now we are reaping in joy. We asked and we asked and we even today, she and I, we pray and we keep asking. And you know what? Prayer changed us. I can testify to that. Prayer changed us. And here in Philippians 4, 6, it says, make your requests known to God. God simply invites us to make our needs known. He doesn't want this to be a mamby-pamby, wishy-washy kind of prayer life. It's persistent. It's bold. It's confessional. It talks about need and it goes to a God who can fill the need. And I can I can share this practically, I guess, from our own lives most recently, because my husband, when he was finishing his MBA a few months ago, he was actually almost now a year ago at his approaching his last semester of the MBA when Hurricane Ida hit us here in Louisiana. And as a result of Hurricane Ida, he lost several weeks. We had no power. 
here in our home for over two full weeks. We had no power. So he couldn't get online to watch the videos. He couldn't do the work. He lost two weeks of school. So he had to fundamentally drop this essential class he needed to complete the MBA. And there was going to be this whole addition of another year of I don't know what as a result of something that was entirely out of his control. And I watched my husband persist going to people who had the ability to change the situation. And he emailed and he called and he called a superior and he hustled and he followed up and he persisted and God showed him favor and he saw this thing open up. He has his MBA now and it didn't have to drag out for another year or two. And that's my challenge to each of us. Are we asking and persisting in our asking for deliverance from our fears? And listen, not only does prayer change us, see, prayer isn't getting God to do something that he doesn't want to do. It's not like God's arms are folded in heaven and prayer is is sort of yanking his arm to give us something that he's holding on to with white knuckles. Prayer fundamentally, in part, in addition to changing us, it's opening up what God has conditioned based on our participation. Something he already has willed in his conditional will to do, but he's conditioned it based on our involvement. Do you guys understand why I taught you this whole thing about unconditional versus conditional will? From the beginning of time, God conditioned that thing to be based on your prayer life. And Isaiah 65, 24 puts it perfectly. Isaiah 65, 24 says, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. He wants you to come and he has the answer already ready. He has conditioned it based on your coming. Prayer simply unleashes the answer that's already ready. And look, the New Testament example for you, the moment there with the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus could have simply performed the miracle. He could have had everybody sit down, just laid his hands down or raised them up and prayed and had everybody have all of the fish and the loaves that they could have possibly needed. But instead, what does he do? There's an involvement. They're bringing him the five loaves and the two fish and he himself praise. He himself models prayer for us. You understand the significance of that. And it unleashed what God already intended to do, which was to feed the masses. And I want you to take note of what Hebrews 5, 7 says so clearly. Jesus himself lived a life and faced everything by prayer. It says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications. Those are those two words again, prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. See, Jesus himself prayed the way I want us all to pray. He modeled it for us, and that's what I'm exhorting us to do. Prayer, the number one front and center weapon of war against worry. One pastor says it. It's perfect. He says, prayer calls our fears out. In fact, prayer drags our fears out by the hand and makes them stand before God. 
Oh, I love that so much. I love it enough to say it a second time. Prayer calls our fears out. In fact, prayer drags our fears out by the hand and makes them stand before God. And that's where I feel like our earlier study on the podcast of the names of God goes hand in hand with this. If we want provision, let's pray the name Jehovah Jireh. If we're fearing this issue of being delivered from a certain situation, let's pray the name Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. If we're fearing an issue that requires peace, let's pray Jehovah Shalom. If we're fearing an issue of our health, let's pray Jehovah Rapha. And when we pray, we really are leaving this physical realm and we're entering the spiritual realm. If we want supernatural power and spiritual insight, we have to have a fervent prayer life. If you don't have fervency in your prayer life, you are not going to have supernatural power over your physical fears. That's just a fact. And that's why I'm exhorting this so strongly. And listen, I have this thing. I'm a doer. Okay. I said it in my recent reading plan. I'm a big time doer. I pray. I love prayer and I love the discipline of praying with someone consistently. I pray, but I also like to do. And what I want to remind you all is that praying is doing. In fact, praying is the greatest doing. Turn with me for a second to James 5, 13 through 18. I'll read this to us. James 5, 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Can we include our fears in that, please? Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I just love this so much. In 1 Kings 18, we actually see that Elijah was laboring. It was like labor, this issue about bringing rain. It was work. So to sum up this point, remember, pain and fear are always an invitation to pray. If you are fearful, it's time to pray fervently. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. And Psalm 55, 22, these are ones you should memorize. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. So that was our first area, prayer. We covered it from so many different angles. How about the second one, Thanksgiving? It's also covered here in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, our initial verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I want you to consider for a moment the benefits of thanksgiving when it comes to anxiety and fear. Let's think about that for a second. Think about it. Your children, for those of you who have children, when they are whining, are they able to be thankful at the same time? 
when they are complaining about what they don't have and what they want and they wish they had this game for their Nintendo Switch or they wish they had these sneakers or they wish they had their own room or all those things, are they exercising or typically giving thanks simultaneously? The answer is absolutely not. Thanksgiving fundamentally guards us against a whining and complaining spirit before God when we're letting our requests be made known. In other words, it almost protects us. It safeguards us from fears that are rooted in the fleshly. You know, we can sometimes have fears that are all about me and what I want. And I'm fearful because I want this and I don't have it. Thanksgiving can guard against that. Gratitude can keep us also like super laser focused on God's faithfulness in the past and the present rather than fretting about the future. I feel like Thanksgiving keeps us here, which is where Jesus wants us. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Gratitude keeps us thankful for what we have here instead of fretting about tomorrow and worried terribly about what might come. And I also feel like Thanksgiving is a strength. By helping remind you of God's faithfulness, I feel like you're empowered to face scary things. David remembered, as I've often said, that God allowed him to kill the lion and the bear in the wilderness when he was just watching sheep. He remembered. So he wasn't fearful facing Goliath because he faced him in the name of the Lord and remembering that he had killed those animals. So gratitude is a strength because it empowers you by reminding you of the great things God has done. The scripture says it, so we don't need the medical journals to prove it, but I even have a medical journal. It says gratitude reduces anxiety and depression. You got to hear this. By reducing stress hormones and managing the nervous system's functions, gratitude significantly reduces symptoms of depression and anxiety. At a neurochemical level, feelings of gratitude are associated with an increase in the neural modulation of the prefrontal cortex, the brain site responsible for managing negative emotions like guilt shame, and violence. As a result, people who keep a gratitude journal or use verbal expressions for gratitude are more empathetic and positively minded by nature. In other words, a bunch of very, very well-educated scientists are proving what the scripture says. Gratitude is a weapon. It's a great weapon of war against worry. All right, so I talked to you about prayer. I talked to you about Thanksgiving. And the last one I want to mention on this podcast is encouragement. And it's one of my favorites because it really costs you nothing. Encouragement. Turn with me for a moment to Proverbs 12, 25. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word is makes it glad. My beloved, are you encouragers? Even if you're the one that's struggling with anxiety, are you an encourager? Encouragement combats anxiety right there in the human heart. Encouragement tells the heart, no, 
Your fears aren't telling you the truth. No, God is good. No, God is faithful. No, there are godly people in your life who love you and care for you. Encouragement is telling you the truth. So often our fears lie to us. Encouragement, a good word, is in the good word, and it is telling you the truth. And to understand it from a New Testament perspective, think of times that Jesus himself encouraged people. I want you to think about that. When he says, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. That's in Matthew 9. Again, he says, your sins are forgiven, Luke 7. Daughter, be of good cheer, your faith has made you well, Luke 8. Neither do I condemn you, he says to the woman caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. Again and again and again, Jesus encourages people. He could have forgiven them and said nothing, sent them on their way. He encourages them. It's like he shakes the dust off of them and encouragement changes everything. I will share this personal testimony. I'm sure I've shared it before. I saw a woman in a bathroom. I was teaching a women's breakfast and I walked into the bathroom before the event started. I had literally just walked in. I think I had my purse still on my shoulder when I walked into the bathroom and I just said hello to this woman in the bathroom. And I had eye contact with her and she goes, thank you so much for saying hello and having eye contact. And I was sort of taken aback. I was kind of surprised that she would thank me for such a thing. She goes, in this day and age of COVID, it's very rare for people to be willing to be so warmly receptive and have eye contact. And, and it made me so sad for how far we've come as a country and what this pandemic has done to our interpersonal relationships. People won't even look each other in the eye. But I just encouraged her and I said, it's very nice to meet you. And I left. I thought nothing of it. And then her friend came up to me and said, while I was doing sound check with the mics, she came up and she said to me, thank you so much for ministering to my friend before the event even starts. And I had no idea who she was talking about. I honestly thought she had made a mistake and she was talking about somebody else. And I was confused. And I was like, who, me? And she said, yeah, you just met my friend in the bathroom and you had eye contact with her and you said hello. And I was like, I didn't really encourage her. I just said, hi. And she goes, even that matters. Did you hear me, my beloved podcast listeners? Did you hear me? Eye contact and saying hello, even that is the good word that can make a person who is anxious and struggling and fearful, even that, even that. Do you know I had the privilege at the end of that breakfast to pray for that woman to receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and her Savior? I had nothing to do with it. It was every bit the Lord wanting this woman to have someone just look her in the eye and say, good morning, hello. You guys can do that. You have no idea the doors that it'll open. You have no ideas the walls of fear and shame and guilt and who knows how much church hurt and how much junk people can have. Simply when you pray for them, you genuinely intercede. And when you guard your heart with thanksgiving, and my goodness, when you go in with a good word and encouraging word, imagine the difference you will make in people's lives and imagine the difference it'll make in your own life. If you, like me, struggle in areas of anxiety, imagine 
the difference it can make. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Rinse and Repeat. Again, my name is Carol Iscaros. It's been such a joy to have you along. You can catch Rinse and Repeat anywhere you can catch podcasts. That's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and also, of course, on Anchor FM. You can catch, obviously, the podcast and my Bible reading plans we've published three so far on my website. That's caroliscaros.com, carol, E-S-K-A-R-O-S.com. And I wanted to remind you about the upcoming women's conference at Fellowship Church in Prairieville, Louisiana. That's going to be a one-day conference on August 13th. I'm really excited. Two awesome testimonies. Breakfast and lunch will be served. A full day of worship. I mean, we're going to just spend the day worshiping Jesus. And I'm going to teach three messages all drawn from John 14. I'm incredibly excited. You can register on my website as well. You can also learn about the fall Bible study on the names of God. I'm doing an in-person Bible study also at Fellowship Church starting in August. Uh, You can learn details about that there on my website as well. And I hope you would certainly join me next time for my next edition of Rinse and Repeat.